Thanks for checking in on this podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational teaching from Caris Ministries. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, please take a moment and write to us at amen at charis.org. We are always inspired and blessed to hear how God is blessing people all over the world through what he is doing here at Caris. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at charis.org so we can continue making podcasts such as this available free of charge. My question was, uh, does God forgive every sin? And if the answer is yes, then what happens to the scripture that says that if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, that sin will not forgive you? If the answer is no, then what is the purpose of the blood washing all our sins away? Alright, that's okay. It's already here, so we'll do that. Selena, whilst the service is going on, if you have any questions, you can write it down. I'll try to see if I can rush through some of these things so that we can take uh, some extra questions. Amen. You know, I want to ask, is he too young to receive Christ at that age? Because he was eight years old. And is there any specific time frame when you have to receive um, Christ, I mean, so you speaking heard someone, in tongues. You heard someone saying that yeah. they received Christ when they were eight years. Yeah. Okay, so you want to ask, can people receive Christ that At age? that small, yeah, age. What's the other when, question? And is there any specific time frame to speak in tongues when you receive Christ? Because he's one us. Okay. Thank you. So let me ask, let me answer that question first. Um, when it comes to salvation, once you are old enough to make a decision, okay, and you know, as we all are aware, um, normally I think adolescence or puberty, they're about 13. The Jews do bar mitzvah, that's when you are 13 and all that, but people develop differently. Okay, so some people develop and get to the age of awareness and accountability very early. I'm not sure about age, uh, that eight years. I've heard people say they started speaking in tongues, got born again when they were four years. I, I wonder what kind of born again that was. You know, people say that sometimes sounds very good and maybe in a religious setting, they were kind of aware of godliness and the principles of God. But to come to a position of making a decision to serve God with all your life, that one you must be very, you must be at the age of awareness and accountability. And if he was, that, that person was at the age of awareness and accountability at eight, then that, that's fine. I can't um, doubt, doubt that. And the person received the Holy Spirit baptism um, after, I think, 12 or 13 years later. He received the Holy Spirit 13 years later. Holy Spirit baptism is received, is available to anyone who is born again. So... Um, in fact, it happened in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Verse, um, Bible says that verse, you know, Cornelius was a devout person, but he hadn't received, he hadn't been born again. So God sent Peter to go and witness and speak the gospel to. So when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he actually went to preach the gospel. But Bible says, whilst he was yet speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard him. And they began to speak with tongues. So they had this encounter, this experience, 
And I think, uh, if my memory will serve me right, that was the first group of people, the Gentiles that actually got born again in scriptures. Because first of all, it was the Jews. And Cornelius' house was Acts chapter 10. Paul, yeah. yeah so uh, from Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 was just introduction. And then chapter 2, they got born again. Uh, chapter 2, the Holy Ghost came. A lot of other people got born again. And the church started to grow from there. You know, but then in chapter 6, it talks about the Grecian Jews. When there was confusion in the church, when they appointed the, the um, deacons, it was talking about the Grecian Jews. You know, the Jews, they were Jews, but they grew up outside of Jerusalem and they grew up in Greek colonies or Greek townships. So it's like um, some, there are some people here who are Jamaicans by blood but they are British. In the same way, those times they were Jews, but they were not in Palestine. They're Jews in other places. But every year they assemble, they come three times a year. There's this feast, they have to, everyone have to travel. That's the day of Pentecost. So they have come. When you read Acts chapter two very carefully, it tells you about how some uh, people have come from different, different places. They are all Jews. They were all Jews. So they got born again. You remember when Peter was speaking to them, preaching to them, he says that, um, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and No, no. Actually, after he finished preaching, the Bible said they were cut to the heart. Acts chapter 2, verse 7 to 37 and 38. They were cut to the heart and asked Peter, they asked Peter, men and brethren, what should we do? They, they, are, they are one with them. So they asked them, men and brethren, what should we do? And then, the Peter told them in Acts the verse, the next verse 38 that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and okay. So even the answer is there. Believe, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. So as soon as you are baptized or you are born again, that's what we're talking about. Receive Jesus Christ. You know, once you repent for remission of sins and you become a Christian, now you are the Holy Spirit's baptism is the next thing. So it does not take days. It does not take months. It depends on how prepared you are. I got born again, end of February, I think last week in February, and I received the Holy Spirit baptism somewhere, I think, um, a month or two, not too many days after. Some of you got born again, a few days you received Holy Spirit baptism. Others got born again, and it took about 20 years. All right, so that, um, that answers the question. I'll come back to Bidesa's question about um, sin and forgiveness. Bruce, read the questions. Let's hear. The first one. If a person loses his zeal for the Christian work, in other words, grows cold in their spirituality, or becomes discouraged for the things of God, can this person still be classified as saved? I think this question is quite an interesting one, and everyone should be able to answer that question. Did you understand the question? If someone is like stops getting active in church and is now doesn't come to church regularly, see, his spiritual life has grown cold. Is that what I'm saying? Uh, can this person, if the person dies, is the person classified still as saved? <laughs> uh, is the person still classified as saved? Yes. So it's straightforward. You, uh, you, but when it comes to, when you are saved, we get to heaven. That's where rewards will come in. We will be rewarded. He said, some will be saved as through by fire. And he said, there will be gnashing of teeth. Do you know why? People will say, oh, I regret. I should have. I should look. Oh, that would have been my blessing. Gnashing of teeth. So when you are doing it in church, you think you are doing it for the pastor. No. 
When you go to heaven, you will see everyone's reward and you will be gnashing. I could have done better. I didn't know heaven is like that. Don't wait. Go to heaven. You're spending all your time making money. Sacrifice for God. <laughs> you can backslide. There are some um, Puritan Christians who believe if you, if you backslide. What's backsliding? It's not actually in the Bible. Backsliding is like, you're, you know, then you back. There are different stages of backsliding. Some people backslide serious, like backslide. They go deeper into the world. Now, that is a different story altogether. Once you forsake Christ, renounce Christ, that, that, that ties into the question Ebenezer was asking. Let's look at something in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26. Matthew chapter 12, verse 26. Now, this text is about, um, he was cast, Jesus was casting out demons, and the Pharisees says, he has been casting out devils by Beelzebub. Go back, let's see. Beelzebub. Beelzebub is chief demon. In those times, there's no. Go back to verse 24. Let's see. It's done with it. Um, yes. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Can you imagine? Jesus was dealing, casting demons. The Pharisees said, No, what he's doing is demonic. Satan is behind it. He's using higher satanic power to deal with Satan. Smaller than Then Jesus, let's see what. This is something you read the Bible. Look at the storyline. It's nice. Funny story. Go to the next verse. Jesus said to them, let's see what. But Jesus, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to a desolation. And every city or house divided against itself. If Satan is casting out devils by Satan, then Satan is fighting himself. So can you imagine how preposterous their question, their, their assumption was? Jesus said, I don't know. And so, and he said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then that should let you know the, king, the kingdom of God is in your midst. God is ruling. Because you can't go to a man's house, a strong man's house, and bind him. Uh, I said that when you read down verse 28, it talks about how when a strong man keeps his house, everything is in order. But when a stronger one comes, so it takes higher power to dismantle what the, the minor power is doing. So what Jesus is trying to say that I'm, I'm dismantling satanic activities by a higher power. All right, and then go to the verse 29. Uh-huh, okay, oh, uh, verse, verse 30. Go to 30. I want to show you something. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, then he went on to the next verse. Look at the next verse. He said, therefore I say to you, every sin, okay, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. How many sins? Every. So, read that question. Is it there? Can all sin be forgiven? Can every sin be forgiven? Some of you are confused. He says that, therefore I say to you, how many sins? How many sins? He said, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. And the question, what's the question? Does God forgive every sin? Yes. Okay, but, uh uh-huh. Blasphemy against every sin. So maybe that is even not a sin. So there are two things, every sin and blasphemy. And there's no sin heavy enough that blood of Jesus can't deal with. But if you blaspheme against the blood that's gone, you reject the blood that this is cheap, there's nothing, this is demonic, this is demonic, then that, you can't be helped. Because the blood that will help you, you reject the blood. The Holy Spirit that is coming to help you, you blaspheme it. Because they knew it was the Holy Spirit, but they, they wanted to reject the Holy Spirit, so they said it's a demon. 
He says, I'm not casting out demons by demons. You know it's the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be helped. If you, you, can, you can say anything at all you want against me. That's fine. But if you speak against the Holy now how do you speak against the Holy Spirit? You must know it's the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so then, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you can tell God is away. You know it's God. And you turn your back against them, who can help you then? I believe that's what I'm saying. Does that answer your question, Ebenezer? So, every, I believe every sin can be forgiven. One of the sins that I say it in a certain way, that cannot be forgiven, is the sin of unforgiveness. So, if you don't forgive others, God, but that, if it's not unforgiveness, God doesn't forgive you. Your sins. So, if you withhold mercy from others, Mercy will be withheld from you. Bible says that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. <laughs> okay. So if you are trying, if, if you are wrong and you are trying to, oh God, you should understand, you know I'm struggling. But others also dealing with you are struggling to just keep to your standard. You can't tolerate them, but I expect God to tolerate you. He said that God won't tolerate you. Jesus said from here, he said, every sin, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Now, it does not mean that you sin, it's definitely guaranteed forgiveness if you ask for forgiveness. Because there's no forgiveness if, the one, if there's no repentance and genuine acknowledgement of the sin. So if you don't acknowledge that this is a sin, or otherwise, God has also pointed to you that this is a sin by, you say, God, I, I stand to differ. <laughs> God, I, I, I challenge you. This no, you can't say this is a sin. I won't repent of this one. That, you say, That's blasphemy. Does that answer the question? Any question in that light? Yes. And what if you know you're about to sin, that you know it's a sin, but then you say, well, God God will forgive me. me." Yeah. How does that work? It's just like, you know, there's a car coming. And you want to jump into the road. And you say, okay, I know insurance will cover me. Let me just jump into the road. And this one hits me. (laughs) You can't tell the consequence of that act. It may bite you more than you bargained for. The Bible puts it this way. It's a very interesting text. I've quoted it a few times. It says that when you sin, you are not doing anything against God. It doesn't affect him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Job chapter 35, verse 6, or 36, verse 5. I always get it. It's, I think Job chapter 36, verse 5. He said, if you do it well, what do you do for God? <laughs> Or if you sin, Job 35, 36, verse 5 or 35, try and say, yeah. If you sin, what do you, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? It doesn't affect God. Go to the next verse and say. On the other hand, verse, the next verse. Is that all? What do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hands? You're being good and... Yeah. God is the same yesterday. What you do does not affect him. Do you know who it affects? You. So then if you say, God, I know you forgive me. Why would, I like this one. Why would God forgive us? God will forgive us so that we can still have fellowship with him. Okay? You may, you may be fellowship with God with one leg broken. But I, was, I used to say this. I said, why, why should I wait till I am involved in maybe a terrible illness or accident and then maybe I lost my leg. Then I say, hey. God has delivered me. Now I'm going to serve God fully. Why well, I should have said the when the legs were two. I, 
he, wait, he waited till your ears have been chopped off. You went to nightclub and you went to dance somewhere after this craziness, uh, shot your ears and it's gone. I say, God, I almost died. Now I'm going to serve God with so, you see, the, the consequences of our actions sometimes will come back to bite us. We wouldn't like it. I always use this. Your mama told you, keep steady. You said, I won't steady. And now you are 35. You are not getting a job. You are frustrated. You are upset. You said, God, why is all this? God, why is all this coming to me? When your mama was telling you to go to school, you should have listened. He said, so there's consequence for everything. So, sometimes we may think that God will forgive me and willfully go into it. The repercussion. He will forgive us. Before you sin and say, God will forgive me, remember this scripture. Galatians 6, 7. It's a very scary scripture. Let's read it together. God is not whatsoever a man sows. That is it. Now, this one doesn't nullify God. God will forgive you, but what you have sown. Okay, you went to sow um, apples. All of a sudden, you remember, tomorrow you will need bananas. So you have prayed, God, forgive me for sowing apple. And so banana should come. No, it will. you get the apple. Does that answer the question? All right. The question is linked to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Say, for example, you're a Christian and you convert to Islam. In a sense, you're denouncing Christ. But then you realize the error of your ways and then go convert back to Christianity. What? All right. That's yeah. a good question. It, it, it ties yeah. into the Hebrews chapter 10 we read last week. Sometimes you may, you're, you're, you may fall to sin one or the other. But when you are a Christian... Galatians 4, 5 says, the seed of God remains in him. Galatians 4, 5. He says that for the, because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, which Christ Abba Father. Uh, verse 6. Which Christ Abba Father. Okay, so the seed is, in there, is there. The one I was actually referring to is 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Yeah, verse, it talks about he... He who continues in sin is of the devil. First John chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains. When you are born again, it's not something religious. Something has entered you. Something of God has just entered you. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. The next thing somebody has about the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, God enters you. And then when you have, if you have had an encounter with God himself, you realize that God is all you need. Does that that make sense? So he said that that for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. It's the same thing. You can't convert. God is in you. Amen. Do you understand that? Because if you reject, okay, you are drowning. All right, read the next question. What's the next question? Question 14. 14, okay. What does it say? Can Acts 2 be explained? In terms of the now this question, when I, I, I was wondering, oh, this, this question was very technical. The one who asked this question must definitely either be reading some things or hearing, some, hearing from some guys, some preachers. Because some preachers are so deep. When you listen to them, one day I was listening to a preacher, he says that the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Some churches you see, they are signed, dove, dove. It's an insult to use dove to represent the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And say, I know most of you, what you quote is that on the, this, uh, the Holy Spirit descended as the body for us a dove. He said, like. He didn't say the Holy Spirit is a dove. How can you use creature to represent the creator? Which made a lot of sense. I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I still have my dove, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone, he said, I don't know why Christians say the day of Pentecost. You know, we are Pentecostals. What do you mean? Pentecost is Old Testament. They were celebrating just that the thing happened. The Holy Spirit came on that day. 
Why do you then use that day to ad- describe yourself? It's Old Testament. I say, hey, these people. By school, you know, it's true. You can't disprove what the guy said. It has to, to make sense. So read that question. Let's listen to that question very well. Can Acts 2 be explained in terms of the first Jewish Pentecost when the law is given about 3,000 fell, Exodus 32, so, Exodus In Exodus chapter 32, verse um, 28, what happened was that when God gave them the law, Moses was bringing the law because he went on the mountain for a long time. Some of you, the Sunday school, you know what happened? What happened? When Moses was away for so long, they asked Aaron to make them a golden image and they worship. So Moses was coming from the mountain and saw that these guys, they were worshiping here and Joshua were coming together. And they told Joshua, Joshua, or was it jo- no, Joshua told Moses, I can hear noise in the camp. And Moses said, no, this is not a noise of sorrow. He said, it's not noise of victory, but it's noise of celebration. Only to go and see they've made a golden cup. They collected all the earrings from the women <laughs> and made a calf and worshipped it. Anyway, so um, that 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 day there was judgment. Okay, and um, that day three thousand people died. Okay, but interestingly, Pentecost. Say Pentecost. Pentecost. Actually, the the the, the what's pent penthouse. What's pent? Five. Pent is five. So Pentecost is a 50th. So it's 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. But so they celebrated Pentecost from the days of uh, when they came out of Egypt. God gave them, he told them that there are three feasts you should celebrate every year. Okay, the Feast of Weeks, which is called Pentecost, and then the Feast of Harvest, and then uh, I think the Feast of Gathering, which is at the end of every year. Everybody must assemble. That is why on the day of Pentecost, Jews from, Jews from different parts of the world came. Because they're supposed to all congregate in Jerusalem for now. So, so the Pentecost was already a Jewish tradition, which they were doing. God gave them under the, the law. Up till now, Judaism still practices some form of Pentecost. It also coincides, or it's also to the Jews, it reflects that the time the law was given. The, the law, the Ten Commandments, the, when the law was given. So they, came, okay, they commemorate the giving of the law on Pentecost. At Pentecost. And that, that day, from this text, when the law was given, the first law, the people were sinning, and 3,000, it said there, about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. No, no, that doesn't mean they fell on the floor. They died. That's another. All right. About how many men? 3,000. That's very interesting. When the law was given. The law, the flesh, was given, or the, the law, physical. The law is judgment, bring judgment. 3,000 men died. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 men were added to the church. All right, so read the question again. Now listen to, with the background, listen to that question. Can Acts 2 be mm-hmm. explained in terms of the... You know Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, all right, yeah. In terms of the first Jewish Pentecost, okay. where the law is given, about 3,000 fell. In Acts, after Peter spoke, about 3,000 were added to them, mm-hmm. and other signs like divided tongues, speaking of kosher. Contrasting the old and new covenant, or law and grace and truth, was this mighty event a sign to the Jews of the new replacing the old? 
So does, does that make sense? Is that the, the, the whole mighty, is it, was he a sign to the Jews that this old Pentecost has been replaced by something new? Um, yes, I believe it was a sign. Because you see, the Bible is loaded with symbolisms and codes such that when you begin to study deep, the things you will see, you know, which, is, which, is not, which may not be obvious to naked eye. For instance, one of the typical examples, if it, when Jesus Christ died, everything that happened on the cross, you can read into it and see Adam and see even, you can see so many things. For instance, one of the things is that, you know, he was, his, pier, his side was pierced? Yeah. And when, why was it when his side was pierced, what, what came out? Huh? What? Blood first, then water. Okay, and um, he, Jesus Christ is the last Adam, isn't he? When Adam was created, God wanted Eve. What did he do? He cut his side, brought out Eve. And so people believe that when his side was cut, that was when the church was birthed at the cross. It was the church because it talks about how uh, Ephesians chapter 5 I said, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for him that he might sanctify him by the washing of water. <laughs> so there's a lot. There are a lot of symbolism. There's one of the, I don't think I'll get a chance to say, when we start doing our Bible school, you have to register. We will teach that more into that. Types, types and symbols, or types and prototypes. So then almost everything that was happening in the Old Testament you can see that, that Jesus Christ was a type. Those things were a type. For instance, Joseph was a type of Christ. Moses was a type of Christ. Adam was a type of Christ. The lamb uh, atonement was a type of Christ. Uh, the, the, the lamb for, uh, what do you call it? The Passover lamb was a type of Christ. The tabernacle, the tabernacle was a type of Christ. In fact, if you study the tabernacle of Moses into details, you will see beautiful imagery of Christ everywhere. So, the Bible, everything was Christ, all right? And then in the Old Testament, in Hebrew chapter, I think, Hebrew chapter 10, the Bible talks about how what was being done in the Old Testament was a shadow. They were a shadow of a reality, okay? So, now we are in the reality. So, then the church is the reality. So, but the church has not replaced Israel. It's called another theological replacement theology. That's very... Let's leave that. The church is not like new Israel. So Israel, God has abandoned Israel now, the church. Church hasn't replaced Israel, but the Bible talks about how we are the Israel of God. You know, we are the Israel. So coming back to the, the original question, uh, it, yes, I can say it was a sign. If someone cares to read into it, you can see that something has Because isn't it interesting, on the day of, the original day of Pentecost, 3,000 men died when the law was given. And the original, the actual day, so the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 days, that was a shadow. The original day of Pentecost, 3,000 men was, were born again when grace was given. So the person was saying, is, is, there, is there a reflection of the difference between the law and grace? Because the Bible talks about John chapter 1 verse 17, said, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came with Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ said, for the law was given through Moses by grace and truth. So when the law came, people died. When grace and truth came, people lived. Someone asked the question about, I think the, the first question, it's a family question. Quickly read our question. Let's. What kind of atmosphere do you create at home as a wife? <laughs> That's a very, what, the one your, your husband wants. 
Because some people, the husband wants them to be wearing um, tracksuits. And be, yeah, if that's the, what would create that, we'll say, why don't you do it? So if you ask me what kind of environment you are, as a wife, do you have to create at home? I believe that is an offshoot of the message last Sunday. How many of us were blessed by last Sunday's message? Let's pray, God. And the atmosphere, environment you have to create in your house is the environment that it's, it's homely enough for your husband first and your children. Right now, homely environment, it's, it's, it varies from people. That's why when you are marrying someone, check the home she or he is coming from. Sometimes you have to visit him at home. See his living conditions. That's what he's going to expect from you. The mother is always cleaning the father's shoes. Ah, he's bringing it to you. <laughs> oh, no, no. My, this one is a civilized one. A little will be there. Some little demand from somewhere. You never know. <laughs> so, to answer the question, what kind of environment does a wife have to create for their husband? Men can't stand contentious atmosphere. When you are contentious every time, if, if, let's say your, your husband hasn't even tried, hasn't done something as well. When he knows that if he comes, he'll stay out. And he'll go out with friends, even if he's finished his work. Every time there's an excuse. And he's always enjoying, and he comes home early and leaves early. And so if you do not take care, you begin to be very antagonistic. You can see that, but you haven't done, you haven't done, you haven't, you've left all this on me, you left all this on me. And most men, Bible actually says that it's better to leave behind that thing. Bible says better to leave there than to share a house with a contentious woman. Every time, any little thing. Most men by nature can't take that. The same way women can't take being made second class before others. When there are other people, you don't value them, you don't make them feel valued. Women can't take that. So men can't take, so you're, yeah, you are not happy about what your husband did. Use wisdom and communicate to him. Don't create a house of tension. He won't come home. I know some of us, some of us here have been in relationships even though you have not been married. And some of us I have lived with boys. <laughs> have you realized that when there's argument at home, and the woman is going, no, we need to go, we need to go. Most of the men, men, men will walk, the man will walk away. The man will either stop talking or find a way of just leaving there. And you go out. You want to know what atmosphere? Create an atmosphere of peace. It wins men. It wins men. And Pastor, who made a statement? Some of the things, pray about it. Do what you can and pray about it because your attack will not bring solutions. But your prayers can do things if you believe in the, prayer, the power of prayer. The, the judge shall marry by and have a good marriage by. So we need to pray about it. Does that answer the question? All right. And then the other question says that if my father, the Bible says that honor your father and your mother. Read it. The Bible says honor your mother and father. How do you honor a father who has shown signs of incest and seems to think it's okay? A father who has not been apart most of your life. That's a very strong question. A father who has shown signs of incest, I don't know if, um, I mean, maybe it's abusive, uh, someone who has been sexually abused. I think it's good, just this came to mind, Josmaya. Josmaya says she was abused heavily by her dad, sexually abused on a regular and a constant basis. Now, she grows and has this resentment towards the man, but it's always preacher. And a little God to her, honor your father. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. When the scriptures say do something, don't ask, but what? If 
No, just find a way of doing it. And you realize, God, I can do all things through Christ. Let's all say that together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, so don't, uh, wives, submit to your husband. Don't ask, what if he doesn't love me? It's not part of the equation. Husbands, love your wife. What if she's not submissive? What has that got to do with your responsibility for loving her? It's like forgiveness, as I taught the other time. Forgiveness is a responsibility, even if the one who offended you does not apologize. So you don't forgive because someone apologizes. You forgive because you have to, the Bible says. Now, don't forget the question I'll come to. The, the question here is that if your father shows signs of incest and doesn't even see anything wrong about it, doesn't it? Yeah, there is a way you can honor. It doesn't mean you endorse. There's a difference between acceptance and endorsement. You cannot, because you can't do anything. Your dad is your dad. Right. Possibly, if he hasn't repented and he still has the attitude towards you, I mean, let's say you are you you are home one day and he's coming. He's tell so that if you don't stop it, I'm going to report you. No, that's not dishonor. If you can rebuke, there are different ways of rebuking things and correcting some things so that you don't tolerate it, which is different from dishonor. You honor the person. You won't go around telling, speaking disrespectfully about the person or try to humiliate, disrespect the person in public and things like that. But if you are putting the person in their, their right place, you got to do it. Well, so we have to know how to honor means honor. Just give the person their rightful due. All right. So you treat the person as though, watch this, you treat the person as though they haven't done anything wrong. But if they cross boundaries, you put them back where they belong. All right. And you rejecting, they are making you do something you can't do is not dishonor. When someone is misbehaving and you are not disrespecting the person or insulting the person, but you are telling the person, no, please, I do not do this and I can't take this. They say, hey, so you don't respect. What has this got to do with respect? You understand that? So we have to, let's say your, your dad has never been involved. With, normally it's some fathers. Never been involved in your life. He was running around with women. Your, your mother was struggling to take care of you. and Now you've, you have become prominent. He's beginning to look for you. He that's my son. That's my son. Now, you still have the God-given responsibility to honor that man. Like Joyce Meyer, she managed to get a house for the man. The man was living near their house. Every time goes to him, see, and got him born again. You know, so you have to do what a Christian or God uh, requires you to do. And then um, leave the rest for God. All right, ask the next question. God is omniscient, sees all things, perceives all things, and nothing can be hidden from his knowledge. So when God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden and commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of it, he must have perceived that the serpent led them into temptation and that they would eat from the tree. Why do you think he put it there in the first place, considering that he knew what the outcome would be? <laughs> that's, that's, it, it, I remember when we were in Bible school, this was a big issue. came up, a debate. And, because if God is all-knowing, actually, there's no need we should be here. He knows how everyone is going to end, so he should just declare, that, okay, you are going to be like... <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? Everything to, should end. He knows the number of people who will be born after, those who will be born again. Those, he knows everything to the, from beginning to the end. So why this? <laughs> All right. The creation is God created as like him. Remember that in his image. Right? Because he wanted to have, uh, duplicate himself. 
right? Listen to this very carefully. So he, he wanted to duplicate himself. But then God did it according to his own will. He has to give you the free will to choose. To love him without being coerced. Robots don't have a choice. You, they do what you control them. So you can't say robots have a will. They don't have a will. But we are free will agents. So then God, God gave us the opportunity. You can eat this and live. You can eat this and die. If you love me, this I, want, I created you to, for a relationship to have me, to put myself in you. But I can't just do you like a, like a robot. I want you to exercise your will. Then from there we can take it forward. And man, that's why the tree was in the Garden of Eden. For man to exercise his will to love God. But he chose to exercise his will to disobey God. And so you say, but pastor, it's not me. We were all in Adam when he did it. Okay, no problem, it's not you. Now the chance has come. That's why Jesus Christ came. So Jesus Christ had the chance to avoid the cross. At the point, just the night before he was betrayed, the Bible said that he prayed at Gethsemane and said, if it's possible. Peter told him, Jesus, you can't go and die. Everything points to the fact that it's not sensible to go and die. Everything was pointing there. But he said, yet, that's where he won the victory. Yes, not, yet, not as I will, but your will be done. So he threw the, Adam said, I will. If they saw the fruit, he said, as God told you, don't eat. The devil said, he said, yeah, God said, we may not eat. He said, oh, God is lying. He said, if you eat it, you won't die. And blah, blah, blah. He said, okay, then you can go ahead and eat it. And so the Bible said they took it and ate it. They chose to eat it. God, Jesus Christ, chose. He had the opportunity to go the other way. But he chose to obey God. Now watch this. And that choice he used to obey God, that credit, when you come to him, he transferred that credit to you. So as though you two, from the beginning, where Adam left off, that's where you, you pick it from. So you, you escape that Adam curse. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, so Jesus Christ, oh, I like this. Jesus Christ came for a recovery program. Redemption is recovery by nature. Because Adam lost something, Jesus Christ came to regain it for us. So when we come to Jesus, we begin from where Adam should have continued. Do you understand that? That's where we begin from. So then, it's not that God knew they would sin and he said, just do it. He gave us the free will and he's a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. I knew you steal the money. I, I left the money there. I knew you would steal it. You, you had every intention. But I didn't touch it. I knew you would do it. And so you are, you are guilty. You let's leave you to do it. Because you judge us based on our works. We will be rewarded based on our works. All right? Does that make sense? And so uh, God knew. He is omniscient. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. But he had to. He, he was operating within time. That's why Jesus Christ didn't come immediately. Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, at the fullness of time. God has restricted himself with time. And when you talk about time, then you're talking about process. And some things must happen for this to happen, for that to happen, for that to happen. That is the creation of God. The creation of God is within time. He himself sits outside of time. By created time, put everything within time. And at the end, he will then bring every soul. He put us within time to, for us to become one man guess this, one man, so that we become his house. He lives in us, and then when everything is gone, God has got himself a house called the New Jerusalem. He started with a garden. He's going to end with a city called New Jerusalem. So put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden because he was, he, what, he was building something. Now, the building is in a state called the church. And 
at the culmination of everything, consummation of everything, the church is going to be the bride of the Lamb, which is the new Jerusalem. But this guy, you know, is very, you know what I'm talking about. So God knows that he will do something, but you, you, he has to leave you to do it so that tomorrow you can't say, God, I didn't do anything. Praise God. Somebody asked this question. When Jesus Christ resurrected, um, John chapter 20, verse 22, have you found it? Read it then. What is happening in John 20, 22? Let's, let's read John 20, 22. Let's read it together. Let's go. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. All right. Were the disciples baptized here or was the Lord just saying it? The, in effect, the question is, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Ah, but before then, Jesus has breathed on them in John chapter 20, verse 22, he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So was he just saying it? Or they received something? Or, so what is the difference if they did? Because the same Holy Spirit is talking about. That, does that make sense? That, that's a very, very, very strong question. Now, some theologians believe, which I don't, uh, they believe, some theologians believe that um, when he said he received the Holy Spirit, he was just breathing on them, but it actually took place on the day of Pentecost. That was um, um, 40 days later. Okay. But I, that was this, this particular, I think it's just when he has resurrected from the dead. Okay. But upon research, I, I am more on this opinion. I, I, I agree with this at a theological school of thought which is when Jesus resurrected from the death, before he went to the grave, he told them that don't be worried that I'm going in John chapter 14, okay? In John chapter 14, verse 16 and verse 17, he says that if I don't go, the comforter will not come. But if I go, the comforter will come and he will abide with you forever. And he, verse 17, John chapter 14, verse 17, he went on to say something like, now he is with you, but he will be in you. Who is with them? And he said that if I, I, if I don't go, the father, I will, he said, verse 16 says, when I go, I will ask the Father. I pray the Father, and he will give you another, another helper. Now, watch this. This is very interesting. This, listen to this. He said, I will ask God to give you another helper. But you are saying that he's with us. So why would God give if he's with us? Do you know what I'm saying? Or some of you don't get it. He said, I will ask God to give you another helper. Then as you went on, he says that, he is with you, but it's going to be in you. Now, Jesus is, we see, watch this, this is very important. Jesus is the embodiment of God. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is the reality of Jesus. So, Jesus had to go now for them to now, for him to come into them. The Holy Spirit. So, in John chapter 14, in, actually, in John chapter 7, I think it's verse 37. God help me if I'm wrong. I think it's the verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus told them that verse 36 talks about, on the last day of the feast, said, come unto me if you are thirsty and come and drink and out of your belly shall flow there. And the last day of the great day of the feast, said, come and drink. And if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Verse 38, verse 38. Uh, uh, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow. Look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, who those who believe in him should receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, but Jesus was uh, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now watch this. So after the resurrection, when he said, receiving the Spirit, he's talking about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, you need to know this one. 
First Corinthians 15, what? You can be writing some of these scriptures down. Some of us are very intelligent. You are not writing anything. I know you can remember everything. <laughs> Look at Pastor. As I always say, we have just been overtaken by the explanation. <laughs> That's a nice one. Um, this is serious. Watch this. And so it is written, the first, uh, the first man, Adam, became what? So when he was created, he became a living being. But the last Adam became what? He became what? Who is the last Adam? Jesus. When you read, you find out Jesus is the last Adam. He became a spirit, life-giving spirit. Say life-giving. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says that there is now therefore no condemnation. And then verse 2 talks about how for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is the life of Jesus. He is the spirit of life. He is the spirit of reality. Once he enter, when he comes into you, watch this, he brings all that Christ is to you. So John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus was telling them that if I go, if I don't go, he can't come. But now he's with you. That's I am with you. But when I go, he'll be in you. And then the verse 19 talks about, go to John, verse, look at verse 19. A little, uh, a little while longer and the world will not see me no more. But you will see me. Because I, because I leave you. Now, that's the spirit of life. The, physically, Jesus was gone. But with the disciples, he is with us. Because he said, I am the spirit of life. Because I live, you will live. So when he resurrected from the death, he breathed himself as the spirit into them. For they are living. Which is different from what happened on the day of Pentecost, which was endowment for service. And so you may not even receive Holy Spirit baptism, but you may you still have the life of Christ because He's the life-giving Spirit. When you become born again, He comes into you. In verse 23, look at verse 23 of the same chapter. I like this one. This is the life-giving Spirit. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And what? Let's read the last part. And we will come to him and make our home with him. They will come and live in you. So the Holy Spirit, when he said receive the Holy Spirit, that's the spirit of life. When you are born again, Jesus Christ himself as the spirit and God inhabits you. That's what the born again. So, but that could never have happened before resurrection. So you can tell when he came out from the dead, he resurrected and he met them. Bible said then he breathed unto them. <sighs> The Greek word was nephash, the Greek word for the breathe. That word that was used, breathe, was used once in the New Testament, which is that one. The equivalent was when God created man and man. And the Bible said, and God breathed into him the breath of life. That's nephash, that's the Greek word, nephash. He, forceful breath. Jesus breathed into them the breath of life, the breath of himself. Because watch this, after the resurrection, he has become a life-giving spirit. He's nice. That's why he could go through the walls. He was a lie. He wasn't flesh. He said, the world cannot see me anymore. He's not with the world, but he's in us as the life-giving spirit. So when he breathed into them, he breathed into them himself. That's why I said, when the spirit of truth comes, in John chapter 16, verse 13 to 16, it talks about he will take everything that is mine and give it to you. Because there's no difference between me and the spirit. It's me. Because I have become a life-giving spirit. And so watch this. As I said earlier on, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the reality of Jesus Christ. 
that is why in, I like this one, Pastor Frank. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he said, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. <laughs> you see that? But uh, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, what? You don't belong to him. You don't. How can you be for Christ? You can't, can you belong to Christ if you don't have his spirit? Let me take one question or two questions from the floor, then I'll close. Let's leave all the other questions. Yes. There's a hand here, please. Um, according to the scripture we just read from John 14, 23, mm-hmm. which says... You come and make his abode yeah, in us. Yeah. Um, if that is so, then why does the scripture say that where two or three are gathered, then he is in our midst? That's a good question. And if that is so... Why do we say that we've come into the presence of God? Is this, his presence not living in us? That's a very good question. I like that. <laughs> Brother Joe will give us the answer. <laughs> now, um, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in your midst. Now, it's, it's more, I thought, I thought some time ago about it. God is everywhere. So then even that, then should, if God is everywhere, why should he say I'm there? That means he's not somewhere else. Mm. David said, if I go under the water, you are there. See, you are there. If I make my bed in the sky, you are there. Wherever I go, you are there. So God is, God is omnipresence. Then why does he say that where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst? Now, it's called, that is the, the abiding presence. The presence of God is everywhere. You can call on the name of God anywhere, even in the belly of the wheel. The first submarine ride. You can call on God's name, and he's there. All right. But... That's the abiding presence. But the manifested presence only happens when people gather in his name. That's manifested presence. That's the presence of God. But we are talking about the life of God, which, is, which, which, abide, which lives in us. We have the, so when you are born again, you actually you, you contain God, the life of God, which is not just like the presence of God, the, the life of God, which is eternal. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. It's inside you. It's serious. Being born again, that's why I, I, I doubt if someone can actually be born again, join another, uh, say I'm now a Muslim. Wow, then you are not born again. You, know, you test the real thing. It's impossible. All right. So what I'm saying here is that um, when you talk about my, my presence with them, when where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. And the other one you said... Um, well, yeah, we have come into his presence. We are talking about, we have come into, see, the, the, the Bible talks about the church being the house of God, okay? Not just the building, but the body of Christ, actually. We are the house of God. But when we come into, into fellowship, he's, he, he told us his presence is guaranteed amongst us, his manifested presence in a, in a different way than any time. So when you are praying alone at home, watch this, you have the life of God. But when you are praying, you are communicating with God. Just like when Jesus was on the cross, some, some religious guys would say that, okay, when Jesus was on the cross and say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? If he was God, then who else was he praying to? That means they said that means he's not God because he was praying to some, the real God, right? It's that we have the life of God in us. It's Zoe. It's, 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 the real, it's real. However, we communicate with God. And now when we come into fellowship, his presence comes, he guarantees his presence in a unique way than when we are private with him. So we, this, we are talking more about the presence of God and the, the life of God. We are, the, breeze, the spirit is the life of God. When you become born again, guess what you got? Tell someone, I got the life of God in me. 
I'm saying to another person, I got a life of God in me. Okay, let's take that last question. No, you just said when we are born again, you contain God. Yeah. I was listening to some men of God, and they said um, they are little gods. Does that make, does that make you God? <laughs> All right, let me put it this way. Um, the other time I went to the zoo and I saw an elephant. He was, he was in labor. And a cat came out. <laughs> You're shaking your head. Why? Because he has to go after his kind. He has to produce after his kind. My Bible says that everything produces after his kind. Mm. Even trees produce after his kind. Mm. All right. Now, in James chapter 1, verse 17, my Bible says, All good and perfect gifts come from above. The father of lights. Think about that. The father of lights. So if he's a father of lights, then who are the lights? All right. So that if we are his sons, he produced after he said, actually in Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, he says that because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. All right. So we actually have the seed of God in us. We have the life of God in us. And so then when people say that we are like gods, because I like one bishop who said, when Pharaoh saw the hand of God on Moses, he said that this is, Pharaoh saw Moses like, like God. When Paul in Acts chapter 17 and Silas went and did some miracles, the people came and sacrificed, they said, the gods have come down to us in human flesh. Because the, the, the manifestation in their life, it was only, this is, this, this out of this world, it's like deity. All right? We are not divine, or we are not deity. We are not deity, but we contain divinity. We have divinity. And the more you live in, in relation, in, you, you live according to the life in you, the more you begin to realize the divine life, finding expression in your life. And that, for that matter, somebody can say, you look like a god. Yes. You are little gods. Okay, so you are god. It's, it's, so we, we are... We are gods, <laughs> but not the, the gods to be worshipped, but the gods in charge, the gods that control, that rule. We are, we are little. He's the king of kings and what? Lord of lords. All of us. It doesn't matter. You may not have a house now, but you are lord yet. You are still lord. Say, I'm lord. I'm lord. <laughs> Praise God. All right, I think we have to end because time is fast. When there's one more hand there, but I think we have to end. Is that okay? Next week, we'll start with your question. Did you learn something today? God, let's put our hands together for the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please visit caris.org or call us on 0207-740-9960. God bless you.